Canto 3, chapter 5, text 40 and 41. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Yadasmin Bhavaisha Jivas Dadharyadasmin Bhavaisha Jivas So this is prayers by the demigods and instead of just rushing through it. I'm going to read the translation, and then a little bit of the word by word, then the verse, 
and then you'll get a lot more from the recitation. So the translation, O Father, O Lord, O Personality of Godhead, the living entities in the material world can never have any happiness because they are overwhelmed by the three kinds of miseries. Therefore, they take shelter of the shade of your lotus feet, which are full of knowledge. And we also thus take shelter of them. In the previous verse, they said, your feet are like umbrellas, like an umbrella for the surrendered souls. Um, so it's raining out, get an umbrella. Um, that's kind of what they're saying here. Living entities are suffering, therefore they take shelter at your lotus feet. Um, so the first word is, the Sanskrit is data, O Father, yat asmin, because yat asmin in this, bhave, material world, isha, O Lord, jiva, the living entities. So that's us. Because in this world, uh, o Father, O Lord, so Datar, O Father, Isha, O Lord. Uh, it's, sentence isn't complete, but we'll recite that line one more time. Back to the line. I won't be jumping around, sorry. Datar Yatasmin Bhava Isha Jivas. Tapatrayena bhitana sharma. Okay, who knows what tapatraya means? Who said threefold measures? Okay. You, that's what you were saying too? Is that right? Tapatraya, threefold measures? Yes or yes? It is, yes. So, tapa traya, trayena, tapa, miseries, trayena, by the three, abhita, always embarrassed. Na sharma. So, sharma, we've heard that. It's, some, it's a last name. And it's used in a few places in the Bhagavatam. Here it means happiness. So, they never find happiness. Uh, Tapa trayena bhita nashama because we're always embarrassed by the threefold miseries. It's embarrassing. Like, why are these things happening to me? It's like I, I thought I was a pretty good person. Why? Why should these awful things happen to me? You feel like a loser. You feel like, why me? It, it's embarrassing. We don't want to brag about it. Most of us don't. Tapatrayena um, bhitana sharma. So, because we can't find happiness in other places, sharma means like peace or fulfillment. Um, okay. Back to the verse again. Data yadasmin bhava ishajivas. Tapatrayena bhitana sharma. Atman labhanti bhagavam stavangri. Chayam savidyam ata ashrayema. Chayam savidyam ata ashrayema. 
Okay, anybody recognize any words? Ashraya. Okay, shelter. Good. What else? Atman. Uh, yes. How does that one? The self. Anything else? Bhava. Oh, Bhaga. Bhagavan. Okay, good. Wow, we got Sanskrit scholars here. What else? What else? Baba Angri. And what does that mean? Your lotus feet. Okay, good. Baba Angri. Let's see what else we can get from this. Bhaks. Chaya. Yes. And what does that mean? Shade. So the shade. So the shelter, the shade, Tava Angri of your lotus feet. Um, what word was that? Okay. Which means achieve. Lavante. Okay. Wow. We got this. So you get some idea of what's being said here. And then there's another word. Vidyam. Yes. And sa vidyam, full of knowledge. Um, and that's what a lot of Prabhupada's purport is going to be about, is how under those feet you get knowledge, you get wisdom. Um, so, let's see. Yeah, let's, let's read it again. Atman lavante bhagavang stavangri. Chayam savidyam ata ashrayema. So I'm just going to jump ahead because we're, going to, we're supposed to cover two verses, which is, we've got a lot, lot to cover here. So the translation again. O Father, O Lord. Okay. O Father, Dhaka, O Lord, Isha, O Personality of Godhead. Uh, living entities in the material world can never have any happiness because they are overwhelmed by the three kinds of miseries therefore they take shelter of the shade of your lotus feet which are full of knowledge and we also thus take shelter of them Purport. Okay, this first sentence here. Let's, let's see if anybody can get anything from this. The way of devotional service is neither sentimental nor mundane. I'll read the rest of the purport and then we'll come back to that. What's he saying there? It's neither sentimental nor mundane. It is the path of reality by which the living entity can attain the transcendental happiness of being freed from the three kinds of material miseries. Miseries arising from the body and mind, from other living entities, and from natural disturbances. Everyone who is conditioned by material existence, whether he be a man, or beast, or demigod, or bird, must suffer from adhyatmika, bodily or mental pains, adibhotika pains, those offered by living creatures, and adhidaivaka pains, 
those due to supernatural disturbances. His happiness is nothing but a hard struggle to get free from the miseries of condition, conditional life. But there is only one way he can be rescued, and that is by accepting the shelter of the lotus feet of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Okay, so that first sentence was dealing with threefold miseries. There's a lot in there. And then there was that first sentence, the way of devotional service is neither sentimental nor mundane. Did he address that in that first paragraph? Anybody see anything? I don't, I don't really think so. I think it's coming up more in the second half of this purport. It's neither sentimental nor mundane. But then the next sentence he says, it is the path of reality by which the living entity can attain the transcendental happiness of being freed from the three kinds of material miseries. So that's, yeah, that's, oh yeah. It's, it's not mundane, it actually is effective. Yeah, good point. I did get that on one of the reads through. It's not mundane, it actually does achieve something. There is some spiritual shakti in the way of devotional service. Um, it is a path of reality by which the living entity can attain the transcendental happiness of being freed from the three kinds of material miseries. And yeah, that is a happiness. Otherwise, what did he say? His happiness, his happiness is nothing but a hard struggle to get free from the miseries of conditioned life. But there is only one way he can be rescued, and that is by accepting the shelter of the lotus feet of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Okay, so that addresses, it's not, not mundane. Now he's going to address, it is, it is neither sentimental nor mundane. Okay, it's something real and tangible. Okay. So Rigatnika says, it's addressing sentimental by saying this is some tangible happiness that you get from it. Okay. That's good. I'll go with that. But I also feel the second half is really addressing this sentimental part. What's the statement about um, spirituality, uh, religion without philosophy is sentiment. Philosophy without religion is mental speculation, yes. Oh, is mundane. So yeah, I think, I think that's what he's driving at. Where does that statement come from? Did he, was he quoting Bhaktisiddhanta saying that? Anybody? No right offhand where that one comes from. Alright, maybe some of the scholars online are making comments and is anybody able to get that? Alright, so here we go. Here's the second half, which is addressing uh, philosophy without religion. The argument that unless one has proper knowledge, one cannot be freed from material miseries is undoubtedly true. So now he's going for knowledge can relieve you from miseries. 
But because the lotus feet of the Lord are full of transcendental knowledge, acceptance of his lotus feet completes that necessity. We have already discussed this point in the first canto. One, two, seven. And whoever knows it, let's recite it. Vasudeve Bhagavati Bhakti Yoga Prayojitaha Janayat Yashu Vairagyam Yanam Chayadahayitakam There is no want of knowledge in the devotional service of Vasudev, the personality of Godhead. He, the Lord, personally takes charge of dissipating the darkness of ignorance from the heart of a devotee. He confirms this in Bhagavad Gita 10.10, and if you know it, let's recite it. Pesham satata yuktanam bhajatam priti purvakam vadami bhudhi yogam tam yenamamupayantite. Empiric philosophical speculation cannot give one relief from the threefold miseries of material existence. Simply to endeavor for knowledge without devoting oneself to the Lord is a waste of valuable time. Okay, those two sentences are kind of the theme for this section, the prayers by the demigods. Prabhupada says so many, so many fun things coming up. I, I got to read this because it's so good. Um, it's a few verses ahead. It's in um, text 46 in the purport. And it's like these demigods are saying, okay, knowledge, 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 power, we've got power, we're doing things, we're empowered to do things, but without your mercy we can't do anything. That's the gist of their prayers. Prabhupada is really taking it with knowledge and he's bashing the um, idea of taking knowledge without using, without bhakti. So here, um, like the third, or no, it's the second sentence in the purport to 46. The devotee has only to hear about devotional activities, which are as simple as anything in ordinary life. And he also acts very simply, whereas the mental speculator has to pass through a jugglery of words, which are partially facts and partially a makeshow for the maintenance of an artificial impersonal status. That's just so cool. We're, we're being asked to do something which is as simple as anything in ordinary life. Like, duh, just have devotion, get under the shade of the lotus feet. Whereas, the mental speculator has to pass through a jugglery of words which are partially facts and partially a makeshow for the maintenance of an artificial impersonal status. In spite of his strenuous efforts to attain perfect knowledge, the impersonalist attains merging into the impersonal oneness of the Brahma Jyoti of the Lord, which is attained by the enemies of the Lord simply because of their being killed by them. Um, the impersonalist attains only the sky and does not achieve any tangible transcendental bliss, whereas the devotee attains to the planets where real spiritual life prevails. With a serious attitude, the devotee throws away all achievements like so much dust, and he accepts only devotional service, the transcendental culmination. So in every one of these purports, Prabhupada's got some real, I guess we'll call them zingers. 
just pounding away. It's really, I, I just read this so many times and I started quoting it in my ordinary conversation. This is as simple as anything in ordinary life, but the uh, mental speculator has to pass through a jugglery of words which are partially facts and partially a makeshift for the maintenance of an artificial impersonal status. It's artificial to think I'm impersonal and just to give up personality, relationships, variety. We see it all around us. And like, yeah, no wonder Prabhupada's so angry about, about this misconception. Okay, so demigods, this verse was talking about um, getting trusting in his Father, Lord, Supreme Personality of Godhead. Living entities are suffering threefold miseries. They can't find any happiness. Therefore, they take shelter under the shade of your lotus feet. And the important thing is Savadyam. Those lotus feet are full of knowledge. Just by doing that, you get knowledge automatically. He put the uh, verse Vasudeva Bhagavati Bhakti Yoga Prayojita and pretty much it seems like he expects us to know that one by now because um, that was way back in chapter 2 of the first canto and he gives a indication there is no want of knowledge in the devotional service of Vasudev the personality of God he the Lord personally takes charge of dissipating the darkness of ignorance from the heart of a devotee in that section uh, Vasudeva Bhagavati, I forget if it's that purport or somewhere around there, Prabhupada talks about how devotional service is, the practice of devotional service is easy and sublime. And then he says it's easy for the new practitioner who is in the, on the threshold of the house of Bhakti, and it's sublime for someone who is a long-time practitioner who is so far along. It's always sublime. There's always something new opening up. Okay, here we go. We're going to verse, the next verse. 41. Margantiyate mukapadmani daesh Chanda suparna rishayo vidikte Okay, pundits, what words do you see in there that you recognize? Margantiyate mukapadmani daish. I don't speak sign language. Mukha's face, yes, thank you. Padma, lotus face. So make your mudra the lotus, lotus face. Okay, there we go. You could stand over here and do it in sign language. Uh, what else? There was a Swami that was visiting here last week. There was a Swami here, and his name is... Yeah, so anybody know what Marg means? Yeah, yes, thank you. Um, here it's translated as searching after, but it's like you're, you're on the path, you're searching for it, Marganti. 
Pardon Tiate, Muka Padma, Nidharis. So let's see what's, what's in there. Chanda Suparanara, Ushayo Vivekte, Ke Rishis, we know about Rishis. Suparna, we didn't get that one. Garuda, yeah. It's, yeah, it's wings. Here it's translated as wings. Like birds, yeah. Here we go. Uh, Marganti, searching after. Yat, as, te, your Mukha Padma lotus face. So searching after your lotus face, Nidhai, are those who have taken shelter of such a lotus flower. Chanda, Vedikims, Suparna, by the wings. Vishaya, the sages. Vivikte, in clear mind. So, let's look at the translation. Um, the lotus feet of the Lord are by themselves the shelter of all places of pilgrimage. The great clear-minded sages carried by the wings of the Vedas always search after the nest of your lotus-like face. And that's, that's how far we've gotten um, than the rest of it. Some of them surrender to your lotus feet at every step by taking shelter of the best of rivers, the Ganges, which can deliver one from all sinful reactions. So the first half is about Krishna's face and the Vedas, being his face being like a lotus flower. The Vedas have wings and they fly you to Krishna's face. And in the purport, it talks about birds going back to their nest. Um, and then the second half of the verse is talking about the Ganges being the... Uh, okay, let's go through it. Yes, yes, Yagamarshoda Sharidvaraya. Yashyaga Marashoda Sarid Varaya Padam Padam Tirta Pada Prapannaha Padam Padam Tirta Pada So Yashyaga, Yashya, who's Aga Marsha Udha, that which offers freedom from all reactions to sin, Sarit, rivers, Varaya, in the best. So, the best of all rivers. It doesn't directly say the Ganges, but in the purport, Prabhupada confirms. Best of all rivers is the Ganga. Um, padam, Padam, Tirta. So, Padam, Padam, in every step, Tirta, Padam. One whose lotus feet are as good as a place of pilgrimage. Prapanna, taking shelter. So the way Prabhupada's translated it, he's taken the last line of the Sanskrit and put it at the beginning of the verse. The lotus feet of the Lord provide themselves the shelter of all places of pilgrimage. The great clear-minded sages carried by the wings of the Vedas always search after the nest of your lotus-like face. Some of them surrender to your lotus feet at every step by taking shelter of the best of rivers, the Ganges which can deliver one from all sinful reactions. So we have uh, demigods waiting for Krishna's glance, Krishna's blessings so that they can do what they're supposed to do. And they're talking about umbrellas and faces 
and lotus flowers and rivers, all kinds of things. And like the world hasn't even been created yet. How how are they talking about these things? Where is this coming from? Um, but uh, they are the appointed representatives of Krishna. It's they're in their instincts or being directed by Krishna to do these things, to have an urge to create. Just like Brahma did at the very beginning. Um, and I've just been looking for a chance to read this. Something we heard Prabhupada speaking um, in a recording. 1975 in Los Angeles. He's speaking on the second canto the Srimad Bhagavatam. And in the middle of the, uh, his speech, he says, if an ordinary person like me can do things without his personal endeavor, how Krishna is great. So he calls himself an ordinary person. He says, just like in our society, we are not perfect. Still, you boys and girls, you love me. Whatever I say, immediately done. So, if an ordinary person like me, he can do things without his personal endeavor, how far, how Krishna is great, that Natatsama, there is nobody equal to him, how great he is, how powerful he is, you can just imagine. If the ordinary person can have some power that he hasn't got to do anything personally, simply by his desire, everything is done, so why not Krishna also? Where is the difficulty? So Krishna desires something to go on, and it goes on. All the demigods, like, okay, this is what we're supposed to do. And Prabhupada was talking about his own shakti, which was, he had captivated everybody, and they just, whatever he says, I want to do it, I want to please him. Um, so I'm going to read the whole quote so you get it in context. This is what he said before that. The whole world is going on under Krishna's direction, but he has nothing to do. He's enjoying with Srimati Radharani. That is Krishna's position. Ananda Mayobhyasak. <clears throat> he has to create one universe or destroy one universe. He doesn't, he hasn't to take any attention. He's engaged in his pleasure. Krishna, the reservoir of pleasure. His pleasure is never disturbed by all these activities. He's so perfect, just like in our society. We are not perfect. Still, you boys and girls, you love me. Whatever I say, immediately done. If an ordinary person like me, he can do things without his personal endeavor. How far, how Krishna is great, that Natatsama, there is nobody equal to him. How great he is, how powerful he is, you can just imagine. If the ordinary person can have some power that he hasn't got to do anything personally, simply by his desire, everything is done. So why not Krishna also? Where is the difficulty? So that's what's going on. Demigods are charged with everything, the material energy, Krishna wants it. 
Um, there's a name for Krishna given in the beginning of the 10th canto, Satya Sankalpa. Sankalpa, his desire, his intention, Satya becomes truth. As soon as he wishes it, it's done. He doesn't have to do anything. And Prabhupada was saying, look what I'm doing. Things are going on. And of course, it's not without his attention that he's, but in a sense it is. He was appreciating how devotees were going all over the world. He told them back in the early days, I want each of you to open a new temple. And so devotees took that. Some of them really took it seriously and said, I'm going to go open a temple. And some of them took it somewhat seriously and they tried. And, um, and the rest were engaged in, well, let me help this person start a new temple. And they went to Australia, Japan, Africa, uh, Canada, South America. Where did the devotees go? Um, Chitsukananda, he said he joined in San Francisco, and then they would, the devotees would drive across Golden Gate, the, uh, the Bay Bridge to Berkeley, and he thought, it would be nice to have a temple here. We should... So he just started talking to people, and he got a temple going in Berkeley, and pretty soon it was full of devotees. And then he thought, we should have one in San Jose. So it's just an hour drive away. He went there and found a few people. They got a temple going. And it started running itself. And then he thought, I keep meeting all these wonderful people from this place called Mexico. I'd like to go there. And so he went. He wrote a letter to Prabhupada asking, can I open a temple in Mexico? And Prabhupada said, yes. And when the temple is there, I'll come and visit you. So he went there. And a year after getting that letter from Prabhupada, Prabhupada flew in and was greeted by a hundred brand new devotees in Mexico. And so like, how did, how did he do this? How did that go on? It was just some kind of empowerment. It was Prabhupada's desire <clears throat> and we were empowered by that, and Prabhupada saying, I'm imperfect. Even though I'm imperfect, you love me, and so things are going on. So, here we go. The elements, the demigods, well, everything, everybody loves Krishna. Krishna is, that's his name, he's all attractive. You can't resist being attracted to him. Even his enemies, when they were going to fight him angrily, they were like, wow, that's really beautiful. Now I'm going to kill him. <laughs> and so they, they end up getting killed, and then they get the same benefits that the Gyanis uh, get. Prabhupada says, what's the use of being a Gyani? You get the results that Krishna gives his enemies. All right, so I'll read the verse again and then go into the purport. The lotus feet of the Lord are by themselves the shelter of all places of pilgrimage. Tirta uh, Pada. So that was just from two words. The clear-minded sages, carried by the wings of the Vedas, always search after the nest of your lotus-like face. Some of them surrender to your lotus feet at every step, 
by taking shelter of the best of rivers, the Ganges, which can deliver one from all sinful reactions. Purport. The Paramahamsas are compared to royal swans who make their nests on the petals of the lotus flower. The Lord's transcendental bodily parts are always compared to the lotus flower because in the material world, the lotus flower is the last word in beauty. So after establishing that, then he says, the most beautiful thing in the world is the Vedas or Bhagavad Gita because therein knowledge is imparted by the personality of Godhead himself. The Paramahamsa makes his nest in the lotus-like face of the Lord and always seeks shelter at his lotus feet, which are reached by the wings of Vedic wisdom. Since the Lord is the original source of all emanations, intelligent persons enlightened by Vedic knowledge seek the shelter of the Lord just as birds who leave the nest again search out the nest to take complete rest. All Vedic knowledge is meant for understanding the Supreme Lord, as stated by the Lord in Bhagavad Gita 1515. Intelligent persons who are like swans take shelter of the Lord by all means and do not hover on the mental plane by fruitlessly speculating on different philosophies. Here we go again. Every purport Prabhupada's just saying fruitlessly speculating on different philosophies. Um, what was that that we read that I said I had memorized? Um, I didn't state that. Um, truths partial truths and truths they they, they do a juggling of words of oh, I, I gotta look it up The mental speculator has to pass through a jugglery of words which are partially facts and partially a makeshift for the maintenance of an impersonal, an artificial impersonal status. The impersonalist attains only the sky, nothing tangible. Um, okay, so here he just says, he's just saying the swans, the intelligent people, intelligent persons who are like swans, take shelter of the Lord by all means, and do not hover on the mental plane by fruitlessly speculating on different philosophies. The Lord is so, okay, so that was the first part about the, the nest of the face of the Lord and the wings of the Vedas. And now he's going into the second half of the verse, which is about the best of all rivers, which uh, that which offers freedom from all reactions to sin. So these people, at every step, take shelter of these rivers. The Lord is so kind that he has spread the river Ganges throughout the universe, so that by taking bath in that holy river, everyone can get release from the reactions of sins which occur 
at every step. Maybe a reference to padam padam, tirta pada prapanna. Sins occur at every step, so at every step take shelter of the Ganges. There are many rivers in the world which are able to evoke one's sense of God consciousness simply by one's bathing in them. And the river Ganges is chief amongst them. In India, there are five sacred rivers, but the Ganges is the most sacred. The river Ganges and Bhagavad Gita are chief sources of transcendental happiness for mankind. Intelligent persons can take shelter of them to go back home, back to Godhead. Third time, Prabhupada's going to refer to Bhagavad Gita, and I'm going to ask you why. What does that have to do with the verse? Even Sripad Shankaracharya recommends that a little knowledge in Bhagavad Gita and the drinking of a little quantity of Ganges water can save one from the punishment of Yamaraj. So Ganges and Bhagavad Gita, that's the theme of the purport. Why? What does that have to do with the verse? Ganges comes from the lotus feet of Krishna. Yes. And what about Bhagavad Gita? As, yeah, he made the mudra. <laughs> Spoken by Krishna's mouth, his face. So Bhagavad Gita is his face. Ganges are his feet. Or is. Ganges is. Are. Um, <clears throat> The verse again. The lotus feet of the Lord are by themselves the shelter of all places of pilgrimage. The great clear-minded sages carried by the wings of the Vedas always search after the nest of your lotus-like face. Some of them surrender to your lotus feet at every step by taking shelter of the best of rivers, the Ganges, which can deliver one from all sinful reactions. And... Okay, so he's talking about the Vedas. The wings of the Vedas carry you to the face of the Lord. And that is where the birds nest. Let's just say that. Um, the Paramahamsa makes his nest in the lotus-like face of the Lord and always seeks shelter at his lotus feet, which are reached by the wings of Vedic wisdom. Since the Lord is the original source of all emanations, intelligent persons enlightened by Vedic knowledge seek the shelter of the Lord, just as birds who leave the nest again search out the nest to take complete rest. Let's see, four times? Yeah, four times Prabhupada refers to Bhagavad Gita in the verse. In the beginning, it says, the most beautiful thing in the world is the Vedas, or Bhagavad Gita, because their knowledge is imparted by the personality of Godhead himself. So Bhagavad Gita is directly spoken by Krishna. The Vedas are spoken about Krishna. They direct us to Krishna. They're the wings that take us there. They take us there, and then we sit and listen to Bhagavad Gita. And Srimad Bhagavatam. But we are simple people. We just go direct straight to Bhagavad Gita, Srimad Bhagavatam. Um, Paramahamsas. Okay, 
Paramahamsa is not in the verse, but Prabhupada refers to Paramahamsas and the swans several times. Of the birds, the swans, they make their nest on the petals of the lotus flower. Uh, the swans take the essence of things. They're able to filter out milk from water. And so a swan-like person can take the essence of the world. And everything else, what did we read in that other purport? They, they throw it away like so much dust. That was that purport coming up. With a serious attitude, the devotee throws away all achievements like so much dust. And he accepts only devotional service, the transcendental culmination. So they see that as the nest the home, the shelter, the place to go, the umbrella. So many things talked about here. We've got rivers, swans, lotus flowers, umbrellas. Um, there's a purport where Dishwanath is saying, um, and, he, and he's always doing this, he'll, he'll take a verse and then he'll say, when Krishna says this, he means this, and then someone may ask, well, what about this? And then Krishna replies to it, and that's in the next line. And so he builds up this whole, he finds these whole conversations within a verse. And so in one of them, he's saying, um, Krishna's face is compared to the lotus flower, to the moon. So when people look at the moon, they think, I'm seeing Krishna. I'm seeing, and they're looking at a lotus flower, and they're thinking, I'm looking, I'm looking at Krishna. This is just like seeing Krishna. But it's not. And they should understand that. Um, someone may say, that is not, it's nothing at all like seeing Krishna. But the way Krishna sees it, Krishna thinks, my devotee is looking at a lotus flower and thinking of me. So therefore, let me, let them see me in the lotus flower. So Vishwanath is seeing this relation between Krishna and the devotee. It's not just us sending prayers, it's Krishna reciprocating. My devotee is looking at the moon and thinking of how beautiful I am. Let him see a little bit of me. And so Krishna grants a little understanding to the devotee. We need tangible things. Um, Spirit, when if you look up the definition of spirit, usually it just means something ephemeral, something ghostly, it can't be seen. Um, we were, we had set up the Festival of India on a campus in Maryland once, and after it was all set up, it was the end of the day. We had everything there, all the signs were up. One of the booths, some students were walking by, and they're looking, oh, look at that. So, spiritual books there's nothing in there um, another one said spiritual fashions was uh, Sankarshan's clothing booth spiritual fashions there's nothing in there and then the other students said oh they're spiritual you can't see them so that's that's the but for us we see spiritual as like Kartals, Vridangas the river, Ganga, lotus flowers, the full moon. We see those things and we think of Krishna. 
we're given all of these these things here that we can hold in our hands. Sriman Bhagavatam. This is spiritual. Here it is. Spiritual books. You can see them. Um, all right, so I will open up for discussion here. I'm surprised. I had all these things to say, and I think I said just about all of them. are possible for us living entities even though we're limited so we can live like that and just pick out the essence and it, it really takes some it's like sometimes things will happen on the side and we get like really upset we get sad we get angry but instead of responding we there's another metaphor you're bathing in the ganges like I mean Krishna's lotus feet, this is spiritual. And then some garbage comes floating down and you're like, yeah. And you're just like, okay, just move aside and let it go by. And so that's Rupa Goswami's metaphor in the Upadeshamrita. That we may be with devotees, they may have some faults, but we just like, okay, let that go by and let's go, let's find what's good in them. You know, it's funny, you, um, Krishna was so kind to us. We lived in India for many years. <clears throat> and I remember I had all these conceptions of what spiritual life was, you know. But I was so humble living in India. You see these Vrishvasis, um, <clears throat> they don't work for them. It seems like they're always in some type of work for whether in Vrindavan, Vrindavan Mathura, or Govardhan. And they have a small bag, they have a change of clothes, and you know, a small, um, you know, I guess, I don't know what they have in there. But they stop at the roadside, they set up a, you know, um, um, fireplace, and they cook. Their life is so simple. Then they take a bath, and they wash their clothes, and they go to the person, they try their salary, or they dirty, or they hang it. And I thought, this is that possible. Nobody could live like that. You know, like that, this is just, but living there for so many years, it really, it made such an impression how simple life can free the mind and how you can think of Krishna. You're not, you're not concerned with all these material things. And here I'm in America, so <laughs> But life is so possible and it's so amazing. They're so happy. You talk to them, oh, it's very loud, it's very loud. 
My daughter Lucy, when she was three or four years old, she used to sit and watch them and cook them all kinds of things. At first, uh, as soon as they finished cooking, they would feed her first, like they were feeding a child. And I said, oh, no, no, you, you know, thinking they don't have much prashanga. And I said, no, no, it's okay. No, 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 it's like, you know, it's salty. We didn't take some prashanga with us. And I found such simplicity, simplicity, such honesty, such, you know, I think, so close to Christian consciousness, you know, the simplicity, the, the softness, the sweetness, you know, just there in this portrait, maybe you remember being out of Wow, that was good. That was the whole class right there. Thank you. <laughs> Um, it states there in the purport, Srila Prabhupada says that the swan makes his nest on the petals of a lotus. I can understand how a little little bird flying around can make a nest on a petal of a lotus. But a swan? you know of this? I think he's just speaking figuratively. Oh. I, I don't think. Oh, yeah. A botanist here. Trees with mangoes the size of elephants, then maybe they have big lotus flowers. But you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, so oh. Or maybe they have really little swans. Or big lotus. So it was talking about lotus flowers and said that <clears throat> swan-like people want to live at the lotus feet, at the lotus face. Um, so I think that's, he's just saying like, yeah. and maybe like you said, lotus flowers grow so thick and tangled and like it becomes like something that we actually could nest in.
Alright. Thank you. Srimad Bhagavatam ki jai, Shri Prabhupada ki jai.